Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and I have with me today the lovely Rena Van Alst. Hi, Rena. Hi, Amanda. How are you? I'm doing very well. I can't believe it's February already. I know. It's going by so quickly. It is. <laughs> It'll be Valentine's Day soon. Do you do anything for Valentine's Day? Uh, we just go out, that's all. But before we used to do a bit more, but now it's all like just going out. <laughs> you got over it. <laughs> no, more pres- no more presents and flowers. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Well, going out is nice. That's, oh, a, yeah, that's a good excuse. You've got to go out. <laughs> you don't have kids. I'm sure you go out lots. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. why I have no kids, so I can go out. <laughs> For those people listening out there. <laughs> yes, bonuses. There are bonuses. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll hear all about your uh, Valentine's Day dinner, okay? The next time we're chatting, fill me in. Yeah. Make me jealous. For now, though, let's jump into your challenge for this week, Rena. I think I'd like to address in this week's challenge, Amanda, um, the topic of insurance commissions. And I know you've had a, a recent podcast with Heather Lander about mm. this, but I wanted just to provide some further information in relation to this unfortunate subject because I think that whenever there's a, the word commission is used, people have a very negative perception because mm. you're obviously being remunerated by someone else's payment of a premium and usually it's a percentage and the higher the premium, you know, the more the agent's receiving. But a lot of people come to me asking me this question in terms of disclosure of commissions. And I just wanted to, first of all, reiterate that Stroman has always had to state that they were receiving a commission. It was always in the agency agreement. What's now different is that it must be disclosed on the agenda of your AGM annual minutes. So mm-hmm. that's number one. So there's nothing new about insurance commissions. There's always been the requirement to disclose this. But um, when you look at an agency agreement that's been signed, say, for 10 years ago, because a lot of agreements just kept on, you know, rolling month to month after they had expired. Mm. Until the new legislation, you know, people perhaps didn't even realise what the terms and conditions were. You could be a new owner. You, you know, you obviously weren't involved at the time the agent was appointed. So a lot of people probably weren't aware that there was a commission being received. And it depends also whether the agent was sending out the information because most insurance brokers and insurers will provide a summary of the commission that's being provided. Mm. Now, the second thing also that I want to address is changing of brokers. So sometimes people think, oh, well, you know, I don't want to stay with this broker because, you know, the agent's getting a commission. We want to get our own broker. And sometimes people perhaps use a broker in another, another area in their life and they think, oh, well, that broker can actually just come and do strata. Well, I mean, strata is a very specialised area of insurance and it actually has statutory requirements. It's not just like your car policy where you can insure it for less than market value if you want to or mm. you don't have to have every single part of a policy. You can just have third-party property. You don't even have to insure your vehicle in some cases. So you have far more choices in your personal insurance when it comes to, you know, strata schemes and buildings. You've got to insure them and the act is quite specific in in the section. So in terms of changing broker, first of all, you can do that. But the second thing is that an agent may be remunerated a certain management fee based on the fact that they do receive an insurance commission. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if that insurance commission is then not being received, then the agent may have a right to ask for the, the difference or the estimated difference from the owner's corporation. Now, in terms of getting a commission, Australian Manager and Andrew can only get a commission if you're a distributor of a broker or insurer 
or you're an authorised representative. So Mm -hmm. they're the only two times that you can actually obtain a commission from a broker or an insurer. So just changing brokers, in theory, yes, you can. You can have a a broker that you have no remuneration from as a managing agent. You have no authorised representatives arrangement, no distributor arrangement because you're not doing all the training that you have to do when when you're an authorised rep, you're under the insurance of that particular entity. So you ought to do training and make sure they understand the law and what information you can give, what advice you can give. So for those schemes out there that want to change brokers, there's no problem with that. But I think you need to speak to your strata manager first and make sure that you will not be out of pocket if you do change. Mm-hmm. And also if you don't have a distributor arrangement or a authorised rep- arrangement, you can't actually deal and arrange the insurance of that scheme anyway. You can't do anything. You can't get quotes. You can do insurance claims, but that means that the Owns Corporation has, has to take a greater responsibility in procuring quotes as well. So those things I think sometimes aren't understood well enough by owners corporations. Mm. A few questions that I've got there and thank you for raising this just for um, listeners who might not be across the past episodes. The episode you're referring to Rena with Heather Lander was back at episode 138 uh, and we did get as I expected uh, lots of questions and some emails about that episode comments about this always controversial topic of insurance commissions and I know that some of what you're offering today Rena, is in answer to those questions and those comments so thank you for that. Yeah. The authorised representative distributor arrangement, How you've mentioned there's some training that you have to do. How do yes. they come about? So say that you're a new strata manager, you don't work for a big company because I imagine that the relationship is with the company. That's um, correct. Yep. So you're starting your own business, for example, yep. and a couple of years ago this was you. Does the insurer approach you and to set up those agreements? Yes, normally they, they do because obviously if they want your business – they want schemes to be referred to them mm-hmm. by you. Mm-hmm. You need to have that arrangement. Otherwise, they have to deal directly with a the client. They can't deal through you. Got it. And okay. Also, yes, an agent can't deal on arranged insurance unless they're a distributor or an authorised representative of a broker or an insurer or an underwriter. So that's, okay. that's yeah, so that's quite good. So if you go to, say, another company, which there are many brokers out there that deal with, say, commercial properties, for example, or, you know, other brokers out there that don't necessarily deal in in the strata space, or they may not, they may think that you're a risk to them. They don't want to have have an arrangement with you because they feel, well, you Mm. know, like maybe you've got a bad reputation or there's something that's happened in the past and you think, well, I don't want to, as an authorised rep, I don't want to have someone under my licence and my insurance that I know is not necessarily, is giving, you know, advice about insurance or whatever. So sometimes you may not have a relationship for a reason or for no reason that you just never come across each other or you inherit a building from another manager and you haven't used that broker before. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because that was going to be my next question. So you wouldn't have a relationship with all insurers or all brokers. So the point you're making there is if you're looking to change insurers, change brokers, and I know that's something that Heather spoke about in episode 138, that you should, you know, shop around, check out the market, see what other brokers are doing, just touch base with your strata manager and just make sure that that strata manager has that relationship, that legal relationship with that insurer or broker before you get excited about a change. Exactly. And also, I think just finally, Amanda, on on this particular subject is the fact that if a commission is allowed in the agency agreement and has been calculated within the remuneration package of the manager, Mm -hmm. then before you go off, then you've got to make sure that, you know, that that your strata manager may not ask you or there's a clause in the the actual agreement that says, well, hang on, if you don't 
if you're not getting a commission, then the premium has to be paid for by the lot owners. Now, I think I've said this before on your on the podcast, Amanda. I mean, I think managers would be would be held in much higher stead if they didn't receive insurance commissions. Mm. But unfortunately, um, you know, it's a large part of the remuneration. And a lot of buildings don't want to pay extra. This is the problem. So when it comes mm. down to money and cost, people have to make choices about what they want. So, mm. you know, you can say to, and now in the new SCA agreement, you know, you can actually state to have no commission and there's three different price points. So it, it is a good reminder for buildings because uh, some are very quick to criticise commissions and understandably so. As you say, Rena, it kind of has that bad taste. It seems yeah. like money for nothing. Well, like financial advisors. Yeah, they have they have a very negative because they're getting commissions as well. Yeah, and has that perception that you would then promote a certain insurer over another without having any regard to the specific interests of the scheme. But bear in mind that if commissions are to disappear, then management fees will almost certainly be increasing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, it is a topic that we do keep coming back to on the podcast. We do get a lot of feedback from listeners in relation to commissions, mm. comments under our episodes on the website and discussions in the forum. So it's something that we will keep addressing and making sure that our listeners and the strata sector is as educated as possible on the issue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my challenge for this week relates to strata committees. And I'm raising this as a challenge because I've had a number of Lot owners, both in the forum inside the Your Strata Property membership community and also just general emails that I get in my inbox, lot owners complaining that strata committees are not holding formal meetings. Mm. are making decisions over email that Mm. are not disclosed to lot owners because there is no meeting, there's no notice of meeting, there's no minutes of meeting. And this question comes up again and again, can they do that? Should they be doing that? Are they allowed to do that? And I thought I'd ask you, Rena, from the perspective of the strata manager, because I've made a, a little assessment of why I think this is happening. I think it might be because committees don't want to pay the extra cost that might be incurred when they've got a strata manager to have the strata manager involved in preparing the agenda for a regular committee meeting. Maybe there's a monthly meeting and there needs to be an agenda for distributing that agenda, for attending the meeting, perhaps to guide the committee through the correct processes and then for issuing the minutes. So committees are just saying, oh, well, you know, there's three of us, we'll jump on email and we'll make decisions and we'll save ourselves some money. What's your experience as a strata manager working with committees, both small and large buildings? What do they usually do? What are they doing wrong? What should they be doing? Yeah, well, larger buildings generally matter do have um, meetings regularly because there's usually a lot happening and the quantum of amount of money that's being spent and the budgets are much larger. Now, the smaller to medium-sized buildings don't. And what we try and do is basically if there's obviously a committee, we make sure the majority agree because we don't want to just have one person telling us what to do, which happens quite a lot. For day-to-day things. Yeah, and even that's it. They, they want to approve a quote, and they don't want to hold a meeting. But what we'll do is say, okay, we'll approve the quote, but we'll, we'll make sure you've got at least two or three quotes because you got to show that you've actually, you know, gone to the market. You're being, you know, transparent, and also we then try and ratify it at the next meeting. So mm-hmm. therefore, there is a record that this quote's been accepted. The other thing we try and do is have just meetings in writing, you know, where people just use a voting paper. Mm. 
So there's been a number of quotes that are to be accepted or going to be accepted that can be done in that way. But if it's a large amount or it's a big project amount or something that's quite contentious, and it may not be a big amount, but you know it's contentious. I just tell the community, you know, you can't pass this. You've got to have a meeting. Mm. You don't want to have a meeting. That's fine. Like I'm, I don't need any more meetings than I already have. Unless um, it's to a meeting in writing where you, you'll approve a quote and you'll, you know, you'll have three quotes and you'll approve one of them or you're going to proceed with some sort of action. So at least all the owners are aware. But definitely mm. I think the agent has to be strong enough to tell the committee that and sometimes people don't mm. want to upset the apple cart or the, they actually don't want to have any more meetings and I really can't blame them for that. But the problem is it, it's all fine until something goes wrong That's and right. invariably, you know, you think you're saving time by people doing emails but a new yeah. owner can come in and all of a sudden the dynamic changes, they're not aware of what's happening, you know, that they weren't aware of this money being spent, for example. Mm. I'll give you another example. So there's a small scheme that we manage and they want to replace the roof. So even though they're now holding a, holding a general meeting to pass a special levy for the roof. We're still going to have a committee meeting in writing or in person to actually approve the subject quote. So we've got mm. three quotes. Whereas some agents will say, Amanda, well, I've already passed a special levy. They know what it's for. But I don't believe that's acceptable because in the day, you know, that, that owner may say, well, I don't want to use this company. I've had a bad experience with them or you know, those, that's not a like-for-like like quote or mm. et cetera. So I think there's a bit of a difference, I think, in terms of how schemes are managed. But it does come back to, I think, the range of trying to manage your heads with the committee and trying to make them a bit more responsible mm. and sort of showing them that, you know, you, you've got to, like, even though you think it's more expedient, you don't want to have meetings, it may cost you money, but in the long run, you've got to basically have some form of formal recognition of, of decisions that have been made and they're, they're going to be done through a meeting. Yeah. And you're really protecting yourself, I think, as a committee yeah, member. Uh, exactly. And I know both you and I have been committee members in the past and I'm currently yeah. a committee member. All I'm thinking is, well, I want there to be full transparency, yeah. complete disclosure. I want our owners to know that this is happening so that if they have a problem with it, they can let us know before the fact. Because if you're not making that disclosure, they don't know because there's no agenda of a meeting on the notice board and there's no mm. minutes. They are well within their rights to come back later and say, why did this happen? Who made this exactly. decision? This should have happened and, and to be the subject of that kind of criticism is not somewhere I'd like to place myself and don't recommend to any committee members. And I think also, Amanda, too, committees actually do a lot of work and sometimes people don't realise the amount of work that's being done mm. until you have a formal meeting and you can show, like, these are the quotes, this yep. is what we're doing, we're getting information about this, we're speaking to our neighbours about that. So it's also, I think, a tool by which the committee can use just to show what items it's been working on during the year and when the AGM comes, they can try and, if you've got minutes, mm. you can show when people say to you, well, you know, why have we spent, you know, 8000 on this? Well, if you look at the committee meeting held on this date, the quote for that was approved then. So exactly, you, know, you have to sort of try and explain what you've been doing because it's all there in black and white. Not the paper trail. And do you have buildings that will not involve you in their committee meetings but they still hold them? So they'll well, set up their own agenda. Doing that, and now they're not doing it anymore because obviously things that, had gone pear-shaped right. because decisions weren't being made and things were just being deferred. But um, mm. yeah, there's only one and there's one that they don't actually ask me if I'm available. They just give us the date, which means, you know, they don't really want us to come and, and that's fine by me. I mean, if I, <laughs> you know, if we really wanted to, I, you know, we could always change dates or mm. I can get my colleagues to go to the meeting. But um, but on the whole, no, most people do want us to be involved because they understand the value. Actually, one of them, now that you mentioned that, one, one of them actually has quite a lot of large things happening and, and the poor chairperson, secretary, that is inundated. Mm. And I mean, 
And I just said to them, well, we're happy to help you. And they said, oh, yeah, but the owners don't want to pass. I said, well, that's fine. If you want to subsidize everybody else, go for yeah, it. on your <laughs> time. Exactly. Um, yeah, so we, I mean, they, we sort of help them with the agenda. Like they was a draft and we try and help them with that. So we do the right. draft agenda for them. Obviously, we can't do the minutes because we're not there. Yes. And sometimes it's also, it's really hard to understand. Like they say, oh, here are the minutes. Can you action them? And it's <laughs> like, well, because you, you don't understand the context. And sometimes when people write minutes, they don't really, they write it in such a way that, if you were there, Amanda, you'd know what they were mm. saying. But if you're reading it as a person that knows nothing about that particular subject, it does get hard. So that's another mm. reason I think why a manager should be there because at least they can give advice or they, they agree to things. They say, oh, no, you can't do that because mm. you haven't done this. And That's right. Um, and and you think you might be saving money by not having them there, but having them there, you could well mm. be saving a lot more money because they exactly. can say, no, don't do that or do it this way or no, I've got a contractor who can do that. Or I can give you another quote. Exactly. Someone in another building which mm. might save you a lot more money so yeah i mean mm. there is value there but i suppose for some committees maybe the, the manager doesn't provide that value and therefore they don't really see the, well, the reason for paying that money so that's I suppose a different problem horses isn't it? For horses, i think yeah we can't put everyone in the same boat mm. okay well i i'm hope that's a helpful discussion for those many listeners i know who are struggling with the committees who they feel are not transparent um you can always get the transcript of these episodes from the website where all the podcasts are stored yourstrataproperty.com.au forward slash podcasts and check out this episode in the list which is episode number 149 and if you grab a copy of the transcript you can send it to your strata committee and say hey this is what a very experienced strata manager and strata lawyer say that you should be doing and you guys should take a look and perhaps try to change the the culture of the building when it comes to those types yeah. of decisions and the way the committee conducts itself exactly okay let's jump into your win for this week rena well unfortunately most of us as either managers or owners or committee members will know the whole topic of bylaw breaches and there's always people in, in a building that don't comply especially when it comes to like you said amanda washing on the line or hmm. you know rubbish disposal or even um keeping items in the car space. So we've lodged applications to go to NCAP for a couple of our schemes where people have left stuff in the rub- in their car space that's unsightly and washing on the balcony. And luckily for one of them, washing on the balcony, they actually have now stopped doing it since the NCAP application, the hearing date was set. So we'll see how we go. But these things are obviously behavioural and therefore, you know, they might remove it now. Who knows after the mm. – I might go to the hearing and say, oh, yeah, well, there's no washing now. But then yes. <laughs> the day after it might come back up again. But I think sometimes when people get letters from us, they pretty much ignore it. But when they get something from a budgetary authority like NCAT, they probably think twice about it. So, yeah, so hopefully um, they will continue not to have the washing on the balcony. But I think for all of us, I mean, as managers, so much time and energy is expended and even committee members in trying to enforce bylaws and it affects everybody. And, I, and sometimes, unfortunately, everyone's different. Mm. Not everyone shares the same values, even though they agree to live in a building and abide by the, the rules. But mm. yes, yeah, so I keep you posted, Amanda, because washing on the line is one of those ones that is unfortunately prevalent. And, um, you know, one day it's gone and next day it can come back again. Well, you're right. And that is um, the way that the law is, is structured, the strata law is structured in these breaches of bylaws. The breach has to be happening at the time. Yeah, exactly. The tribunal can't make an order if the breach is not actually happening at the time of the hearing, which makes that – and noise is another tough one to prove yeah, in relation to that. Too. So, you know, we'll – let's say someone was very disturbed on New Year's Eve because there was a party going on, but the application is before NCAT in March and the tenant hasn't made a peep since then. Well, well unfortunately – oh, 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 the tenant's left now. 
you're not going to have too much luck then with that kind of application. So that's why it's good to um, be aware of the stages of intervention that you have. And I recorded a Facebook Live on the on the Your Strata Property Facebook page just last week, I think it was, about noise and dealing with noise problems and starting with a knock on the door and starting with you know talking yeah. to your neighbours. And the washing could be the same thing or the, there's stuff on the common property where it shouldn't be. Having yeah. that conversation if you if you feel that you're able to or asking your strata manager to make a phone call to have that yeah, conversation exactly. as a first step and see if that will stop the practice. And then it is those recurrent uh, recalcitrants, if you like, yeah. who continue that we might end up before the tribunal with, but that would be the hopefully the minority of cases. Okay, the win that I'm bringing to the table this week relates to the replacement of a lost certificate of title. Now, this is not just one win, but um, regularly my firm is asked to apply to land registry services for a replacement certificate of title. And it's generally, I have to say, an instruction we get from strata managers' offices. The strata manager usually holds the common property certificate of title on behalf of their owners' corporation clients. And sometimes in big offices and with bylaws getting registered and posts coming in and posts going out, certificates of title can get lost. And when you lose the original certificate of title, that can be a tricky situation to explain to your client, number one, and then you very promptly need to be taking steps to ensure you can have a new replacement certificate of title issued by Land Registry Services. Have you experienced this, Rena, where a certificate of title has gone missing? Yeah, I mean, I've actually taken on two buildings, Amanda, where there was no CT mm. and there wasn't a CT for ages. And I was thinking, <laughs> well, how can you not have a CT for ages when like the bylaws had to be consolidated as part of the, the new act? And yep. so therefore that wasn't even done. And it depends also, I mean, I've, you know, obviously I do a stat deck and everything to say, like, you know, to carriage or it's not one of my possession. You've got to give evidence to show like that you're the agent, like you've got to attach your agency agreement. Sometimes you have to attach a bill. Mm. Uh, it depends on who's looking at the and the application at, at the land registry services. Yes. But the issue is, yeah, I mean, I, I don't understand how an agent can have a building for so long and not even <sighs> bother getting a new CT. I just, yeah. you know, and they go, I said, what is it? oh, there is no CT. They just give me a copy of the one that, and mm. the, I don't know. Yeah, but I've, I've had actually two that I've had to apply for. It. Actually, I think two or three. Yes, you shouldn't be waiting, strata managers, you shouldn't be waiting until a bylaw needs to be registered to order a replacement certificate of title. You really need to get onto that. And the process is fairly simple. You've hinted it's part of it there, Rena. You do need to complete a statutory declaration setting out uh, when was the last time you saw the certificate of title. Mm. You know, we sent it to a lawyer and it never came back. That could be the situation. We've searched the office. Uh, we haven't been able to find it. Our usual <laughs> procedure is this. It's not there in the folder. It's not in the register. <laughs> whatever it is that you do. And Rena, I know you do your replacement CTs yourself. You do those applications mm. being experienced, uh, but other strata managers send them out to a lawyer and we do all that for a fee and fill in your stat deck for you and send it off to land registry services with the appropriate form and a check mm. for the replacement. So you do have to pay. And uh, yeah. I wonder if strata managers bear that fee if they're the ones who've misplaced yeah, well, the CT or pass I mean, it on. Yeah, who knows? I mean, mm. that's a very good question. I mean, I, I mean I've never lost one and I know that in my last company we never lost any so mm. 
That's a very good question, actually, because, I mean, you'd have to look at your disbursements to see if it's hidden somewhere there, but anyway. <laughs> yes, yes. And if, if you are in a company that seems to be losing CTs regularly, maybe just have a look at the process for how CTs are kept and when they come in the mail, where do they go and how does a, a list of all CTs we're holding get updated, that kind of thing. We certainly have a process in our office. Well, when, when you receive it, Amanda, from LRS, you've, you've got to sign for it, number one. It's always probably just a post. So I don't know how, like, yes. so obviously when you do get the new one, make sure that you know, obviously you've got to sign for it so they know you've got it. So you can't mm. say you never got it. Yeah. But then what happens when it gets to the office is a different situation. Mm. But if you are uh, missing a CT in need of a replacement, it's not a it's not a difficult process or a scary process. It, it is possible, so don't panic if you have lost one. The other thing is if they become destroyed somehow, if they get very old or they're ripped, or a fire or something. Yeah, exactly. Then office. they do. Yeah, heaven forbid that you would have to replace fifty plus CTs. But anyway, exactly. could, could happen. They should be kept in a fireproof safe. Just. Yeah, By the yeah. way, <laughs> <Good point. laughs> yes, yes. Um, but there's that process, and there is an information sheet from Land Registry Services setting out how it's all done. So I'll put a link to that information sheet in the show notes for this episode. That's great. Okay, thank you very much for another fab episode, Rena. I'll send you back out into the world of Strata to keep doing good. <laughs> doing well, attending meetings. That's oh, pretty I'm much how so. it goes. I'm doing good. <laughs> you are. You are. <laughs> Enjoy your week. You too, man. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today?